This episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 4th of January 2023 at home in Wicklow. And it is the the very generic New Year's episode. Uh, I say that uh, joking somewhat, but certainly part of the episode is dedicated to how we feel at this time of year. We've put one year to bed and we're looking at a year to come and for for many people um it's a sort of a a sort of a time to set out one's store um or set out one's stall what's the expression <laughs> anyway it's a time to get ready make plans set objectives targets uh, for some people to make resolutions so I, I just try to speak a little bit about that my own uh, relationship to that how I feel at this time of year I also at the start of the episode I spend 10 minutes 15 minutes maybe talking about movies um, just ones that I omitted um, in my my wrap-up last year there were some notable omissions that I felt I wanted to to include so that's a bit of a follow-on from last week's review of the year um and i also spent some time i hadn't particularly planned on spending time but i ended up spending a bit of time talking about um an uncle of mine who just passed away uh, on new year's eve and i just sort of indulged the first quiet moment um i've had really since his passing to 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 share publicly <laughs> my thoughts and feelings so there's that as well and I think I managed to somehow draw a link um, to that and uh, wellness resilience um, resolutions and getting used to things and habituating to things that are difficult and that becomes part of my my frame so uh, my, my frame for the for the new year and my frame for my own kind of wellness regime in general okay so I hope that uh, makes sense, uh, but that is what's coming up, and I will see you there around the corner. Cheers. Ooh, not gonna change my mind, leaving the dream behind. Hi, my name is Dara Clear, and you're listening to The Clear Out. You're very welcome, and a happy new year. <laughs> welcome. Welcome to 2023. It's a very, very futuristic date if if you're a child of the, the 70s. <laughs> 2023. Um, there you are now. We've arrived. We've arrived in the future. And the future is dominated by technology. But perhaps not in the way that was depicted in sci-fi movies of yore. It's not quite a futuristic tech scape, uh, nor is it a dystopian hellscape. They seem to be the preferred options. Although you do often also get the, the utopian serenity, the the multi the multi personage view of the future where all creatures great and small get along. Uh, including the vets, I presume. That's a, that's a reference. <laughs> that's 
that's a reference to James Herriot. Okay? Okay? Um, anyway, there you go. The um, Now, funny enough now, thinking of James Herriot and those books, none of which I ever read, but then I do remember the series on British television, um, or from British television. And it's funny, I was having a chat the other night, my, my sister-in-law and her now fiancé um, were here to visit for a few days over New Year's and my sister-in-law's son was with them as well. And the the fiancé is from Yorkshire. He's a Leeds fan, Leeds United fan, because he's, he's fundamentally, a, a, well, I don't want to say he's a Leeds man because he's not from Leeds, but he's from North Yorkshire. Anyway, he's a good lad. And we were just recalling all these ancient TV shows and TV personalities um, that filled the the entertainment frames of our of our youths, um, and of course here in Ireland we got a huge amount of English product broadcast on our screens um, because we were able to get English TV stations um, coming across the Irish Sea. Now, in in my own household, we weren't, and I felt I was missing out when I'd hear hear other kids talking about shows like Porridge, um, Allo Allo, uh, stuff like the Russ Abbott show, of all things. So, yeah, it's funny to think what was curated to be broadcast on the Irish stations and what was left um, on the English stations. But um, in any case, the memories were there, and there was this this kind of tradition that seemed to carry on. If you know, if if America had sort of vaudeville um, and the various entertainment circuits um, around the country, and wasn't it the was it the Chitlin circuit? Was that where black performers performed? They you know was segregated. I might I might be I might have that wrong. If that was the American tradition, it seemed over here, the and certainly on English television, that the tradition sort of moved from sort of working uh, working men's clubs, or from sort of the music halls, the old music halls in these old kind of Victorian theatres to working men's clubs. And that tradition of kind of light entertainment and broad, uh, broad entertainment, like, you know, dancing, comedy sketches, uh, singing, whatever, um, those figures seem to still be represented in the the personalities, the public public personalities that peppered the screens of the the seventies and eighties. Um, yeah. Anyway, and so I guess it was just a bit of a, a funny little nostalgia trip. Although it's a strange kind of nostalgia when you look back and kind of go, "Oh my goodness." I mean, I was talking. <laughs> there was a show about Dick Turpin. Do you remember that? There was a show about Dick Turpin, and Dick Turpin was like the the, the kind of highway outlaw um, in in England in in what the the seventeen hundreds before later. Uh, 1800s and didn't wasn't his horse called Black Bess and there was a series I'm sure there was a series for Dick Turpin and the horse used to come across the cobbles through the, the fog 
under a, a swing wooden sign at night, uh, you know, of a, of a tavern. And uh, Dick Turpin, he was the guy. I was like, okay, cool, this is good. <laughs> I was thinking, wow, well, wait, that's that's what passed for that's what passed for superheroes <laughs> back in the day. Um, that was, you know, that was the high end. Uh, yeah, but anyway, Dick Turpin of all people. My my nephew who was with us here was referring to him as Dick Turban, which I thought was quite funny. I think he was a, a different a different outlaw, perhaps um, aboard I don't know aboard a camel in a in a different landscape entirely, maybe not a camel, maybe a horse as well. But come on, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, so there you go. It's it is that time. It is that time. It's um, it's so funny because you. Like last week, I did that kind of review of my gear, but I, I limited it to the, the movies I watched. And there were, after I finished recording, I realized there were there were several notable omissions, which I'm going to redress in very brief, uh, in a very brief synopsis um, momentarily. But it's funny when you're kind of keeping an eye on podcasts and you know lists or listicles do you know what a listicle is it's an article that's based around a list and of course all through the latter parts of december you know across media you get the kind of the wrap-ups of the year the listicles the best movies of the year the best songs the best novels the the big events of the year the top sporting moments of the year all the rest and last week on the podcast i did my own you know my own, i made my own attempt at that um and just reviewed my my watching um what was on my kind of on my watching my viewing diet for the year last year and you know you just roll over a few days and then it's that other generic um uh, generic bit of output where it's okay it's a new year what are my resolutions? What are my plans? How do we begin the, the new year? Fresh start, a clean view. And how do I set out my, my stall for the year? Um, and they're, they're completely, they're completely generic, aren't they? Um, and I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> I may as well throw my lot in as well. So I, I have, I have some thoughts that I will, I will get into in due course, but yeah, but as I said, I just quickly want to um, just throw in another few movie titles and, and a couple of other things I watched last year. So I realized, oh, I forgot this. Oh, I forgot that. And there were um, three, three movies that all had a sort of an impact on me for different reasons. I thought I forgot to mention. And they were three movies by let me just um yeah three movies by very established uh movie makers screenwriters and in the order i watched them last year they were ridley scott's the last duel um steven spielberg's west side story and paul schrader's the card counter and three really uh, I think really distinctive and very well made films um, The Last Duel I watched at the start of the year and 
it was based on um, a, you know a, a historic event, which was the the last duel to the death between two men in in France, and it was over a disputed um, rape accusation and the dishonoring of one of the combatants' wives. And um, it was very brilliant. I thought it was really well um, constructed and really well acted by the, the main players. And I'm going to kick myself here because the, the main actress, is it? It's the actress from Killing Eve. What's her name? Is it Jodie? I want to say Jodie Whittaker, but is that correct? I don't know. I just want to double check that just to um, to get that right. But the the actors involved were Matt Damon Adam Driver and Ben Affleck and they were all in their own ways um, really really good like really really good Adam Driver was a terrific uh, villain Matt Damon was a terrific um, kind of not very smart but very vain and self-important man with a massive chip on his shoulder and a very unattractive character. He played him so well. Ben Affleck was hilarious as a man of status and privilege who, um, yeah, was just interested in partying and chasing young women and just being a bit of a hedonist. Um, Jodie Comer. Sorry, not Jodie Whittaker, different actress. Jodie Comer then played the wife of Matt Damon and um, probably the more difficult, more nuanced role to play. Some people objected that it was a, a little bit too woke, that it kind of incorporated kind of, I don't know, female empowerment ideas. I'm like, okay, well, what the hell? <laughs> is that, I mean, is that so bad? Like, I felt it felt very integral to the story. And I think, unless I'm... No, I was going to get that wrong. The female movie makers at Nicole, I can't pronounce her name, Holofacenter, 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 she collaborated with Damon and Affleck to write the script. And it was kind of told in a a Rashomon-esque way, the retelling of the same central incident from three different perspectives and she wrote the the female perspective i thought it was a really really good film i haven't come back to it but i i I look forward to seeing it again so that was the last jewel ridley scott always a safe pair of hands um and then yes west side story by spielberg i just thought was brilliant and just a great great spectacle um, and for me, one of the performances of the year was Ariana DeBose's Anita. She was just electric on screen and, yeah, mesmerizing, uh, compelling screen presence in that role. And the, uh, the big set pieces were beautifully staged. Um, and it was deeply romantic as well, which, uh, of course, it should be, and deeply tragic. And very, very, very lovely to see Rita Moreno um there in her 80s singing somewhere as this older maternal figure to to some of the characters in the story but i just thought you know what you look at there is someone who loves cinema um paying homage um in a way only he can as as the great filmmaker that he is like spielberg's i think terrible tendency for 
mawkishness and sentimentality will often un, you know undermines um his his movies um but of course this wasn't his original script um, didn't he collaborate with um uh, angels the angels in america uh, tony kushner is that his name angels in america playwright uh, i think he did the screenplay for spielberg's version and of course he had all the spanish speaking characters speaking spanish without subtitles and there was something about that that kind of gave an extra um, layer of, I don't know, something authentic, something not sanitized, something not homogenized through a white lens. And it gave things an extra layer of kind of vitality and texture, which was very welcome. And yeah, great, great performances all around acting wise and uh, singing wise too. And I really recommend it if you have any love of of movie musicals and any love for the original West Side Story. It's well worth, well worth checking out. Just just go with it. Um, go on the journey. And then Paul Schrader's The Card Counter, a very um, grimly, uncompromising, uncompromisingly adult movie. Um, and... Paul Schrader, of course, he's just got this long legacy of depicting sort of tormented, um, lost men. Um, you know, most famously, of course, he wrote the character of Travis Bickle for Taxi Driver, another movie I watched last year, which I didn't mention last week. And, uh, you know, of course, that was a revisiting of that movie. But Schrader, that it's almost like his 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 religion. It's almost like a compulsion can I, you know, keep presenting these characters who are just wrestling with the most tormented parts of their souls and put it into a narrative that takes us through key moments of their journey to often a, a desperate grasp at salvation or redemption, uh, recovery, um, or some sort of existential reckoning with with helplessness, hopelessness, um, a complete distaste for life, a complete self-repulsion or self-abnegation. Um, yeah. <laughs> fun, fun times. Anyway, in the card counter, he put together a really tight little kind of drama thriller with um, Oscar Isaac uh, as the central character, who we learn was a interrogator slash torturer in an Abu Ghraib like facility and is just trying to you know come to terms with uh, his demons and his guilt um, and is fund- fundamentally on a, a pathway to, to self-destruction to kind of purge himself and and you know scourge the the, the, the guilt and the shame um out of himself um sort of a a self-obliteration course course so but really really good really really good um well worth uh looking at as well so there were those three movies i forgot to mention last week and i should have mentioned taxi driver and uh sophia coppola's marie antoinette and the safety brothers good time i dedicated a whole episode to those three movies last year um so i forgot to talk about them as well the the one other thing I would mention is I watched the entire first season of Yellowstone 
and I can't remember how far I got into the second season. This was a, I think it's on Paramount Plus, but a sort of a Kevin Costner headed um, contemporary Western saga um, set in what is it Montana? Um, but looking at these sort of modern very powerful ranchers and what they're fighting against to hold on to their land um, and their keep their legacy intact um, I don't mind a bit of cowboy action I don't mind a bit of ranching action on screen and good nice North American landscape a lot of kind of tough men in <laughs> in chaps um, some standout performances really from kind of Cole Hauser as this sort of adopted son um, who does the dirty work for the the, the, the cynical King Lear like Kevin Costner Kevin Costner he's good at the, good at those kind of rugged you know rugged tough um, kind of unrelenting characters but um, yeah and, and this has been a hugely successful show in the States I think it's heading into season 5 maybe 4 or 5 um, and it's written by Taylor Sheridan who whose movies I've talked about before on this show um, Wind River might be one of my favourite ones of his he also didn't he also write Sicario and Hell or High Water so again he this is a Taylor Sheridan's former actor and now a screenwriter um, who loves these kind of stories um, about sort of modern American often men who are you know living tough outdoor lives on the borders of conflict uh, often you know where white America meets indigenous America um, and you know he, he yeah he's got a he's got a feel for something about the the rugged toughness of these flashpoints and areas of conflict and tough men kind of knuckling down and getting on with the the job that has to be done it it can get a bit much but when he gets the balance right it's nice yellowstone ultimately as much as i kind of just went with it um kelly riley also has a very good ongoing role in that show it's the very smart but kind of very messy daughter of kevin costner um wes bentley uh of um american beauty fame as a sort of a it's, it's kind of a bit of a coming back a bit of a comeback role for him um as kind of a, the weakest member of the family but ultimately it just got really soapy very quickly and i couldn't keep going i had to stop watching and that as it happened involved the wes bentley character walking out of a cafe from his ex-girlfriend and she kind of goes you know you might want to be a better man for you know your unborn child and he's like what you're pregnant and i just thought ah here lads come on come on and like just every episode it seemed started to be stacked with that kind of nonsense so um i walked away and uh, i won't be returning so that's a shame but anyway what can you do it, i guess it's a bit it's a bit more mainstream um I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Okay, so that's it. That's the that's just the um the final the final wrap up um as I said of uh my my viewing pleasures of last year or my viewing displeasures. And 
yes, now on to now on to other things. So the new year, what does it bring? It brings a sense of I don't know, is it a sense of relief for having survived the year that's gone? Is it a sense of dread of oh my goodness, here's another year. Um we're we're looking down the barrel of another year of unknowns. Um, another year of derailments but you that yeah that's obviously quite a, a a negative or anxious viewpoint but that's not that's not irrelevant i don't think that's uncommon um and of course we get it on the back of the the midwinter festival the midwinter holidays the midwinter celebration the christmas indulgence which is is, is quite intense um and that kind of extra leaning into more food more drink more sitting around more cozying up kind of lovely of course on a lot of levels which i've I've spoken about before now this christmas for me was tainted by not being well i mean ultimately i was sick for a couple of weeks and it did rob me of um, my normal excuse me my normal energy levels and my normal uh enthusiasm <laughs> for for the season that was in it uh, i just found myself feeling knackered a lot of the time and that seemed to be that seemed to be of a piece with how i finished the year um and by that i'm i'm referring to the the last 6 to 8 weeks of the year um i just felt like my my head was completely fried um and i measure this a bit by the quality of the podcasts i put out in that time i just feel like the last several episodes i I was just putting them out under enormous time pressure enormous sort of mental pressure and barely barely getting the job done and struggling badly to be coherent and cohesive uh and keep my through line alive and just finishing an episode and going it'll have to do and putting it out and then reflecting on it and going oh my goodness that really really wasn't up to snuff um and it's it's annoying (laughs) i'm not going to sit here and say oh i'm proud of that i mean and i did already sort of try to qualify um that those experiences last week um because i was frustrated with the aspects of the, uh, the 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 christmas special but again i was really bloody sick when i recorded that and you know don't 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 also don't misunderstand me i'm not going to be here you know wallowing in this but i'm taking the opportunity to sort of hold myself accountable and acknowledge um the uh the flawed nature uh and the flawed experience the um kind of dog-eared i'm hesitating to use the word half-assed because i I think (laughs) that's going to be the new quote for the show i think i think those episodes were better than half-assed um to clear out you should listen it's better than half-assed um (laughs) (laughs) yeah so in any case i don't know the the 
for me, we turn into January, and January is as it happens. Um, it's also my um, it's also my birthday month, so I'll be having a birthday in a few days' time, and so I always quite enjoy January, and I, I think of it as as my time, <laughs> indulging my own my own vanity. Um, I like that very true winter month. I like the, well, you know, the, often those lovely, bright, sharp, cold, fresh days. Uh, I like, there's something about that that I find very invigorating, very inspiring. I feel that there's a, a cleanliness <laughs> to 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 those days and of course there are plenty of days that are not like that today is one of them it's it's gray and kind of mucky and muddy and not that nice uh, although i did see a, a large kite circling overhead um a red kite with that impressive wingspan um and that was they're, they're, yeah they're they're they're, they're always they are always eye-catching and slightly breathtaking but um, yeah, so I have this sort of lifelong positive association with with January and the start of the year, just because I I get a little birthday and I I selfishly take a moment for myself um, to kind of go cool. <laughs> this is this is my season, um, and. I've managed to not lose that over the years, even though even though my birthday as a kid often meant the first day back at school, and that felt less than uh, celebratory, uh, less than triumphant, um, and also like a lot of people who have birthdays close to Christmas, um, the, the, the 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 January birthday experience is often a bit low key lo-fi and um somewhat impoverished <laughs> and that said you know there have been plenty of great 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 birthdays but um the, i feel there, there was always a sort of a, a smallness to the to the event certainly on the home front um growing up uh but that does give me the opportunity to acknowledge my my aunt michelle who for years uh, spoiled me rotten on my birthday by organising a trip to Funderland. Funderland, a huge um, what, amusement um, funfair event uh, that happened in Dublin every year and it still does. Um, I, I thought I might bring my daughter this year but I, I think the, the moment has passed and my aunt who also is my godmother would gather the cousins and other aunts and uncles and we'd go as a large family group and just have the best crack the best day and um yeah that was just consistently a great birthday experience um until yeah we, we you know it just it seemed to become self-evident that we were too old and it didn't happen again and part of that big day i'm sure i've spoken about this before at the end of the, the day at Funderland, uh, we'd be taken to McDonald's. <laughs> McDonald's in Dunleary. Um, one of the uh, 
the first McDonald's locations in, in, in Ireland and that was a big deal as well to go in and get you know my choice was a plain a plain hamburger plain bun burger french fries and a strawberry milkshake and then you're allowed to get seconds and I'd just be dipping french fries in the milkshake and going it just doesn't get any better than this so um, that was lovely lovely very very exciting and the, the height of birthday indulgence so there you go for my um for all i said a moment ago about the smallness and the impoverishment i i had for a certain number of years uh, a huge event happily coincide with my birthday courtesy of uh, of my aunt um and speaking of my aunt i have to uh just take a moment to acknowledge the the death of uh, my uncle, my uncle Robert, passed away on New Year's Eve, and that was Michelle's uh, life partner. Um, and that little—that's going to be the how I celebrate my birthday this year. Um, it was Robert's request that I officiate at his funeral, so that's happening on my birthday in a few days' time, which feels. Um, yeah I'm very honoured that that was his request I've no idea what he was thinking (laughs) maybe maybe he thought uh, as I referred to Ridley Scott earlier uh, maybe he thought I'd be a a safe pair of hands that remains to be seen but those preparations are are happening at the moment Um, and yeah he's been in my my thoughts a lot Um, and we 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 got to to see him to say to say farewell i didn't actually say farewell it was just weird i went to see him in his hospice um last week and um yeah it i don't know it i i I just there was a i don't know if i was in i don't think i was in denial um you know he was very lucid, and my 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 wife and I went to visit him. Uh, other family members were there, and we had a bit of a, a visit to his his room and a bit of chat. And yeah, I didn't actually say goodbye. My wife did. I don't know what I was. I don't know. It. I just <laughs> saying goodbye felt just as wrong as not saying goodbye um and i don't i'm not sure if i was thinking no i I might see him again but um yeah he he went a few days after that but i did back in november i did visit him at when he was still at home and i had a, a really nice conversation with him and um got a very clear sense of his his peace with um where he was at and his his a very strong sense of his gratitude for the life he had which was which was lovely actually and he was very clear and candid about being ready for his time to to end and how um he probably would have felt very grateful if um euthanasia was a, an option here in ireland which it isn't yet but in any case i think i think that was a great help to to any of us who were close to him um to know that he was very much at peace with 
coming to the end and that wasn't there wasn't that sort of distress or upset around kind of a desperate clinging to, to, to staying around but it doesn't make his passing any less sad um, yeah I don't know for me he was just a a constant positive male presence um, all through my life and someone who remained um, as one of my other cousins said just a, a great male role model um, a very smart intelligent kind generous mischievous funny man um, <laughs> a great man to be with in a group just for his his uh, his sotto voce commentary um, <laughs> he was yeah I, I think that's one of the things I was most fond of was his his sense of humor um, and he was a, he was also a very passionate um, kind of left leaning uh, political activist um, and had great sort of solidarity with others who cared about such things particularly um, he was particularly interested and motivated by, by Latin American politics and spent time in Nicaragua and was very prominent in organising support groups for you know Nicaragua in Ireland and also for Venezuela in more recent years um, and that kind of political conviction was always there or thereabouts when you're in his company um, but also his passion for music, um, his passion for films, um, yeah. And I think particularly when I was a teenager, and I, I would have spent a lot of time in in his house, um, you know, his house that he has with my aunt. It was just a, I don't know, there was just a, a great space that was made available and a great and a kind of a very generous sharing of his space and there was something about his his own kind of um well what i felt was kind of his own kind of curation of his interests um and, and as i referred to them there movies and and music and you know you could sit down and he, you know he had a very good stereo system and nice headphones and you could just go through his cds and um yeah no it was just um i don't know there was something there that i always found very appealing about that as well as just enjoying his company his warmth um and yeah he'll be uh he'll be a big loss although in my own personal relationship to how i think about death and people dying no longer being here I um I don't know. I think I don't personally as I've, as I've made very clear before, I'm not a person of faith. I don't believe in a higher power. I don't believe in an afterlife. And uh at this point in my life I still feel very comfortable with that. That's not cynicism. That's not colored by anything jaundiced or misanthropic. Um, I don't feel bitter or fearful. Uh, I think, um, you know, we, we, we live our life now. And when someone goes, they remain alive in our in our memories. 
um, they remain alive in the the emotional and psychic imprint of our um, of our of our of ourselves of our being of of our of our souls. Um, it's a strange thing maybe to mention souls when I've just said so categorically. I don't believe in an afterlife, or I'm not a person of faith. Um, but I, I I do I do believe in a sort of an animating essence that really defines everybody um, in its own unique way and I think that is what remains and that's what lives in other people um, you know when you've when you've you know when you've been in contact with someone and have known them well enough to to have a palpable sense of that essence I find that a comfort I find that very accessible um, when the, the the physical being is gone uh, even though we we live with the with the absence we live with the empty space uh, of those who uh, have departed um, I think you know it's it is i think it's how you how you cope with that or how you negotiate that will be very much determined by the 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 closeness of the relationship you had with that person the longevity of that relationship um and it will be very very personal and vary from individual to individual but i think um yeah i feel my choice is to to focus on being grateful i think and to to feel very open to the the memory of that person um living on within me um and to to stay open to being surprised by how that might affect me at different times and yeah yeah i mean it, it, i i when i got the news um the other day michelle rang me um to to let me know and i was in i was on my, i was on my own in the kitchen here at hashtag blessed and it was obviously a very uh somber um somber and brief phone call it was literally a couple of hours after he'd passed away and um, my daughter must have been somewhere else in the house. I don't know where she was, but I just had a very kind of you know natural uh, and instinctive cry, and found myself just leaning against the uh, the press, the kind of cupboard in the kitchen, you know, just with my hand pressing against it. Um, uh, yeah, and it just struck me. It was, I was kind of sort of you know, having one of those kind of out of body experiences where you're sort of looking at yourself going here I am in my own kitchen weeping um, and supporting myself with my hand against the, the kitchen presses I'm just looking at the kitchen press and the carpentry and the the handle and I don't know just going okay thanks 
kitchen press for holding me up here in this moment of uh of grief and loss and pain and um yeah then i had to uh get on with a very busy day of cooking in the kitchen because we had guests arriving in uh the aforementioned sister-in-law um and her fella and her son um mere mere hours after that so they just left yesterday so in a way i've been um a little bit indulgent here because this is probably the first moment i've had uh just to have a, a thinking out loud moment um and i don't know if this is the the, the right platform but anyway it is what it is it's my <laughs> it's my platform so <laughs> i'm just indulging myself and it's nice it's actually nice to take a moment and be reflective and think about that brilliant brilliant lovely beautiful man who was such a lovely lovely presence in 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 my life in the life of my wife my daughter and lots of uh lots of our family members everyone really um so anyway there you go um so from that from that to and this is not unrelated but again just to return to this idea then of the new year the new start the 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 the, the where do i begin feeling um and i'm not i spoke about this last year in the uh, the equivalent episode i'm not really a big resolutions guy <laughs> And that is not uh, an abdication of um, personal responsibility. I feel my my own kind of credo is very much built on personal responsibility. So I, I spend most of my I spend like I, I feel like I'm, I'm very diligently applying myself to ongoing uh, an ongoing determination or an ongoing resolve to to keep myself on track and to keep myself well that that seems to be my um my part of my kind of life mission is to kind of go i'm going to take care of myself and keep myself right so i can be of use to others and i won't expect other people to to take that responsibility for me and i won't I'll try to keep emptying my resentment bucket if I feel I'm being let down. Um, and I, I think if anything, if anything, I, 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 I'm, I kind of, I'm, I'm hovering around the concept of acceptance um, as maybe the, the kind of underpinning goal of this year to see if I can be more accepting of of what, like that's the question, isn't it? What you know, what, what 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 do you feel you need to accept? What do you feel you find it difficult to accept? Um, and I just think that that's a very potentially a very powerful area for personal development, for personal change, for personal resolution and settling um and personal shifting to a different space if that's something you crave um 
and I, you know, for me, that area of acceptance, it has to come, it has to be sort of adjacent to or part of the pathway that runs alongside conflict and areas of conflict and areas of certainly, I suppose, I feel, I, I feel like I was often speaking last year on the, on the tell. Um, I was often speaking about my anger. And that was often in a kind of a familial context. It was often in a context of my relationship with my daughter and how my anger would express itself. Um, and I certainly alluded to, um, well, maybe more than alluded to. I, I, I know at a certain point in a, in a recent enough episode, I was talking about um, a you know, challenging period um, in in my marriage and trying to be I feel very protective of my my wife's privacy um and her journey her experience her narrative um so I try not to um implicate her uh or expose her it just feels unfair and not cool and I try to frame all of this through my own experience in in as much as it feels um and again yeah fair to do so because i i, I you know it, it, that's not the there's often very little to be gained by trying to speak for someone else uh, unless they've asked you to do so um which is a very particular thing but i ca- i can only speak for myself on this really um as i do every bloody week <laughs> and you're going we know <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think for myself, acceptance is something I need to look at, um, and acceptance as a, maybe as a, a pathway to, to change as a pathway to adjustment, to, to modification, not necessarily anything as radical as, as revolution. Um, and by revolution, I don't mean upheaval necessarily, but like a, a you know, a turn um, in a different direction. Because, um, of course, a complete turn will just have you back where you, you started, won't it? But maybe, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's something that would, that's something that works. I mean, it, you know, maybe we are all goldfish in our little bowls and maybe it would be a blessing to have the the alleged goldfish memory experience where they swim around the bowl and every revolution, it's all new again. I mean, that's a very Zen kind of concept, isn't it? <laughs> can you can you turn around and face it all again? I mean, this is this is what we're doing. This is what the the way we relate to time. And when I say we, I'm speaking for all of humanity because. I have insight into everyone's experience of time. Uh, I believe, I believe many of us, I believe this is relatable. The idea that we're all so unbelievably conditioned to do this kind of grim accountancy task of marking time. And we do it with our anniversaries. We do it with our birthdays. We do it with holidays, with yearly events. And we certainly do it uh, 
at the end of a year, at the end of one year and at the beginning of another. Um, and it seems to, for many of us, it seems to be a time for the stock take. It seems to be time for a reckoning, accounting, um, and a sort of a a reset. And that conditioning, it's, I mean, I mean it's, it, it, it's, I don't know. Like I spoke last year about trying to kind of step out of that, uh, the tyranny of of time, the tyranny of marking our time the way we do, Um, and I suppose that's a sort of a a mindfulness task. Can you step out of the slipstream? Can you step out of the machine of counting your seconds, counting your minutes, counting your your hours, your days, your months? Uh, you know, you know your, your weeks, you know, the, the, the days roll by. I mean, my daughter, you know, she's only nine, but she'll talk about the Sunday feeling. You know, she'll wake up on a Sunday and have a whinge and go, oh, it's Sunday, it's school tomorrow. Today, as it happens, is the last day of her Christmas holidays. And I had to persuade her to get dressed. Because <laughs> she was like, what's the point? <laughs> I just want to stay in my pyjamas all day. I said, no, no, change. Put your clothes on. It doesn't matter if you think we're not doing anything today. It changes your energy. It changes your attitude to your day, your attitude to yourself, how you view the day. I mean, my poor daughter, she gets, she gets these kind of micro lectures, these micro motivational speeches from me, you know, all the time. I can just see her rolling her eyes. Um... You know, and, it, and it's becoming, I mean, you just realize this is, <laughs> this is her. This is someone who lives in proximity to you, just knowing you better and better and better and seeing through your tricks. Uh, <laughs> and it's like when, if I have had one of these, you know, if I have had an angry moment with my daughter and um, I feel duty bound no, not, no, not even duty bound because that makes it sound like an obligation. It's not an obligation. I, I take the first opportunity to apologize and recover the relationship is probably how I see it and save my daughter from dwelling on the emotional impact of me, you know, shouting at her or being unduly cross. Um, <laughs> and so... It's kind of this terrible thing where she kind of gets this out, out you know, she actually, you know, she gets the first incident, which is the anger, which is obviously very unpleasant. And then I think what seems equally unpleasant is when moments later I turn around and give her this massively sincere apology, this kind of heartfelt, heart rending. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have spoken to you that way. It's not you. It's me. Um, and then she's just like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's probably getting to the, the you know to the point where she just rather oh here just get angry and be done with it and i'm not going to take that any more seriously i don't know it, it's again it's not it's on me it's not on her um oh man good luck anyway the um yeah the as i say this uh this idea of the impact of the impact of the the the, the divisions of time. Uh, I mean, I just read this morning 
I read this morning. What was I reading this morning? I was reading some Esquire article online. Um, somebody was writing a a review of no, not a review. Well, yeah, kind of a review. They were talking about Noah Bombach's movie version of Don DeLillo's White Noise. So Don DeLillo, an author I've never read, but um, with whose work I feel semi-familiar uh, in spite of that. Um, Don DeLillo wrote White Noise in 1985 and I've learned uh, in recent days that it was, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's considered by many to be his breakout, breakthrough novel. I think it was his eighth book. Um, and written in 1985 as a sort of a satire of consumerist America set on a Midwestern college campus focusing on a professor of Hitler studies and his wife and their precocious family um, and how they're the moment that you know the book focuses on the moment in their lives that coincides with a an airborne kind of a, a, a toxic airborne event um, and a kind of an emergency event that forces them to flee their homes um, and I suppose the whole book is a you know it is a commentary on um, you know consumerism and uh, a loss of meaning a loss of purpose and being absorbed by the great kind of consumerist capitalist machine and the search for meaning um, fear of death fear of insignificance the striving to keep relationships on track and meaningful um, and yeah Noah Baumbach um, you might know as the director of Marriage Story and The Squid and the Whale, for example. Uh, the Meyerwitz stories. It's a very funny movie, actually. Um, yeah, he's just directed a movie version of the book. So, of, and of the same name, White Noise. Adam Driver's in it. Uh, probably one of the more interesting actors of the moment. Uh, Greta Gerwig is in it. Um, is she married to Noah Baumbach? I'm I'm so confused. I, I thought, I, yeah, I have to revisit my my uh, trivia there. But um, Greta Gerwig is an actress. I struggle with. Love her as a director so far. Um, you heard me rhapsodizing about Little Women recently. Um, but there's something about her screen persona that I find irritating. I don't know what it is. She just feels like a very self-conscious actress i don't know anyway white noise is a very self-conscious film it just feels very arch and it's a satire and it doesn't yeah i don't know it was hard to get emotionally invested and that sort of arch highbrow humor that you find yourself sort of intellectually tittering at or smirking at or you know wryly smiling at but um, it's not really, you know, punch it in the gut funny or funny bone funny. Um, and I don't know, there can be a coldness to that. Um, but look, anyway, it's, yeah, whatever. It's on Netflix. It's, it's, it's still, you know, it, it's still a very well-made film, of course. And there are this kind of Spielberg elements to parts of the story, particularly the... Um, the sort of mass exodus of the community during the big uh, toxic event. Um, 
that has flavors of uh, close encounters particularly um and something about just kind of the um yeah the kind of ordinary people caught up in an extraordinary event which of course richard drafe has captured uh so well in his performance in close encounters was that 1983 anyway um yeah why was i talking about white noise i don't know i don't know um no i've got completely completely lost whatever that thread was um yeah no I mean, oh yeah, so my word was, oh yeah, that's it, that's it, I remember, sorry. The author of that article was saying how he hates birthdays. He hates birthdays because what it means is everyone he loves is a year closer to death. Um, <laughs> Jesus. I mean, it's a, yeah, I guess that's, um, I don't know, that that is one way to think of it. Um I mean, we're all, we're all aging all the time. We're all getting older all the time. We all move a moment closer to the end uh, constantly. And what what do you do with that information? I, it doesn't bother me in the slightest. I, you know, and don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm, again, I'm not like, I'm not blithely coasting through some bubbled life where everything is wonderful um not at all far from it in fact and certainly um i mean i'm uh, i'm a i'm a year off um, a major birthday so i'll be turning 50 um this time next year and you know you have i'm sure everybody goes through this where you go okay so when i was a kid 50 seemed like a monstrous age (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, I, I remember I have vivid, vivid memories of my father's 50th, of my mother's 50th. I remember their 40th as well, as it happens. Um, now, that said, I mean, I, I mean, my dad's 50th and my mum's. I didn't think, oh, wow, they're so old. And yet there was something about the kind of the scale of the celebrations that was like, this is a this is a major. This is, a ma- this is an age of some consequence. Um, now. I don't feel like I have any anxiety around that or sort of entering. I don't don't feel like I'm entering into some midlife crisis and I don't have any compulsion to go out and have an affair or buy a sports car or all those, you know, silly cliches of male middle-aged panic. Um, I think I I do, I certainly do get a twang and this is partly, and I, I think I've mentioned this before, when I reflect on the you know my 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 desire to be an actor um and going on that kind of journey and training and giving the career a go and then getting to this age and kind of going okay yeah so people who've stuck with acting and had great successful careers who are around my age sometimes that hits me in a in a in a place that hurts (laughs) and you're like Oh man, wouldn't it have been lovely <laughs> to have, have have had sufficient talent or opportunity or chutzpah to kind of yeah to to get a career like like so many people have 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 done um you know all the you know, the famous faces um and 
that can be that can yeah as I say that can be spiky at times um but then I don't know I just I, I, I find myself very very accepting of okay I made different choices I had you know I had different opportunities I walked down different roads and here I am now and I kind of focus on well what am I doing with what I've got now and that to me ultimately becomes the mantra that becomes the template the formula for for wellness for functionality for potential fulfillment what am i doing with what i've got now and a lot of the time i i feel satisfied a lot of the time i feel satisfied that i'm using um I'm using a substantive amount of what I've got and doing something with it. Um, and it is fulfilling on, on many levels. Um, and it's also, it's, also, it's also a gamble. It's also a roll of the dice. But I, I'm trying to have faith in that. And, you know, the, the, you know, the podcast... This podcast is an iteration of that and the wellness content I struggled to produce really for a lot of last year for Aura. Can you feel my Aura? The wellness content I was producing for Aura uh, and have continued to produce, like that's, that's an iteration of that and teaching martial arts is an iteration of that and trying to be, trying to be a good father and trying to be a good husband uh, and good partner and friend to my wife that is part of that and trying to be a good friend to myself is a part of that now I don't think they're outrageous things and they might sound extraordinarily mediocre and unambitious and mundane and everyday um, I'm very comfortable with that I kind of I, I sort of glory <laughs> I sort of glory in that I think yeah I you know it's it's there's something you know there, 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 there's something out there in how we consume human stories that has us all uh, it has us all sort of attracted to our or noticing or um, programmed to respond to the big achievements. Um, and that, on one level, is entirely appropriate. Uh, it's entirely appropriate to go, oh my goodness, that person did that. That's really impressive. And what uh, what an exceptional and brilliant individual they are and fair play to them and I suppose that's how we respond to a lot of people in the public eye who I suppose on a on a, an objective you know on, on, a, on, a, on a very kind of quick scan of human achievement we go well okay they've kind of ascended a certain ladder and got themselves to that position and we're talking about 
public figures we're talking about i guess politicians we're talking about leaders we're talking we are definitely talking about celebrities and sports people we're talking about actors and musicians artists dancers writers um whoever you know we might be talking about you know prominent prominent people in our communities um i was i was uh, i was just thinking about this the other day because there's a god i'm not i'm not gonna remember his name which is that's a bit of a dereliction of my 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 research duties here but there's a guy from i'm pretty sure he's from the west of ireland and he's done a couple of um rowing expeditions across the atlantic like solo rowing um and he's also climbed some of the you know world's biggest summits um and I came across him, I think I just came across him on social media and because he had some of these extraordinary videos from the, the high seas, so to speak, and just seems like a very kind of rugged <laughs> but down to earth guy who's done, you know, accomplished these uh, extraordinary, you know, physical um, achievements. Do you accomplish an achievement? Do you achieve an accomplishment? Is that a tautology of some kind? Um, is that just bad English? Um, anyway, <laughs> he's done these great things. Um, and he put up a big spiel on, on social media the other day and was talking about you know a lot of his plans for this year. It's going to be a documentary about some of the things he's done. And then he had some... Oh, man. I really... I mean, Jesus. I should, what I should do is just try and see if I can get a hold of this guy and, and maybe interview him. But he had um, uh, like a some sort of setting up some sort of entity to, I think, um, advocate sort of singularity of purpose and high achievement and winning mentality. Um, and I was kind of reading it all. Going, this is all just really good stuff and sort of just admiring the guy um, and thinking, right, like he's going to get a response to this because of what he's done and there's always a part of me that goes ah what can i what can i do what great achievement can i do you know can i can i you know try and uh, you, you know make happen that will you know be become a pathway for for some kind of financial success some sort of economic success or economic opportunity um and it's funny because it's um it's kind of the antithesis of my my um, my mantra, which is rooted in in kind of mundanity um, and anti exceptionalism. Um, and by saying, you know, and and that's my my ex- and that's my exceptionalism. By by saying that, uh, <laughs> I'm trying I'm trying to go. You know, do you realize how exceptional I am in celebrating the unexceptional? Um, because I think I personally believe that that's where contentment lies. Like, and that's where contentment lies is in the acceptance of the tiny victories, the acceptance of the tiny overcomings, the acceptance of survival, and the the celebration of that form of unheralded resilience and the triumph over the everyday challenges of life the the the, the triumph over 
uh, anonymity and invisibility, the triumph over realizing how insignificant we are. <laughs> but I think that's brilliant. I mean, genuinely, I think that's where happiness lies. That's where fulfillment lies. Um, to be to be happy where you are, to be content and satisfied and cognizant of your everyday triumphs, to keep your head together, to not give up, to keep faith with the people closest to you, to, to live close to yourself and true to yourself. I mean, I really think that's admirable. And... You know, I, I, I <laughs> so does that mean, you know, I, 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 I laugh at myself because, you know, I'm setting myself up there to say, like, that's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do with my life at this stage of my life. And it's not that I don't go, God, wouldn't it be great to get back into acting and get a great role and get a platform to kick on to something else? Wouldn't it be great to get my shit together and write something coherent uh, that represents everything I'm passionate about and try to do and could be of use to people and could shift in significant units. You know, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't it be great to, to reach a much better place, um, you know, financially, economically, uh, with genuine stability and eradicate the, you know, the, the fear and stress that is ever present in in, in our lives uh, in in hashtag blessed, um, you know. Of course, of course, that's there as well. But you know, in the absence of those successes or visible achievements, you don't have to negate all the other victories that happen, and it doesn't negate those other successes that no one sees and no one feels or hears or knows about. But I do deeply believe that that is, that is a platform for, for inner strength. That is a platform for inner peace. Um, and that is a platform for resilience. And in a way, it's just patting yourself on the back when you stand up and put one foot in front of the other and progress into another day of living I, th- I think that's that's an admirable achievement all of its own um, and if you can remember that there's a there's a gratitude that can be enjoyed a gratitude that can be present in in the everyday and i think that gratitude is uplifting and empowering and is a is a delivery service of of happiness um and again i'm i'm talking about like a a low-fi slow burn deeply internal happiness that warms your belly um, and keeps you solid on your feet 
in these um, in these very shaky times. So look, um, yeah, I don't know. There, there was one other thing I was gonna just quickly, quickly reflect on before I finish up, um, and it and it, it does fall into again how you how you kind of step into this new year, and it was the idea of it was the idea of what we're used to you know what we're used to and you know what we've become used to what we've gotten used to and that can be looked at in two very different ways because if you know to, to be used to something can be that can that can also be a sort of a, an, an equivalency of complacency and complacency can become a sort of a form of of disregard um and complacency of course can be just taking something for granted an assumption of the presence of something that because of that attitude becomes devalued and you know that i think that's a danger and i think that is something that can erode gratitude and it can erode that sense of wellness or fulfillment or resourcefulness you might otherwise have and i just think it's something to to watch out for so i think one of the things i'm going to be trying to do um in the coming weeks as i frame this coming year is to really have a look at what i take for granted and try to just turn around the goldfish bowl so i can review it and go hold on a second have i actually am i still appreciating this am i still appreciating what i have am i still grateful for what i have um because it is a sort of a dereliction of i don't know a dereliction of yeah i suppose of mindfulness it's almost a dereliction of decency um, and fairness to, you know, to to relegate things that really shouldn't be relegated. That, you know, you should have a very mindful sense of, Jesus, you know, I'm lucky. I'm lucky to have what I have. And not to be kind of, you know, peering over the fence or looking longingly elsewhere to think that's where my happiness will be located. Um, certainly make sure you're not neglecting the available happiness that's right there with you at all times. That is one aspect of getting used to. So that's kind of like the little alarm bell. You know, watch out for that. If you're getting used to something in that way that you know stops you appreciating what you've got. But then there's also getting used to something. Um, and, I'm, and I was thinking this in terms of the passing of uh, my uncle um you know to to get used to the absence of someone um in a positive sense and to be kind of to become habitualized to something that was challenging or difficult and then to acknowledge that it hasn't it hasn't taken me under it hasn't floored me um it hasn't destabilized my life or send me down a rocky path where I feel less capable of coping. So 
the idea of getting used to things that are painful, the idea of getting used to things um, that hurt or are difficult or are challenging or take us out of our comfort zone, um, that I think it's also a very positive way to frame the idea of getting used to something. Now, you know, to, to literalize that, I could talk about, you know, sea swimming. I didn't manage to get back in the water last week. I still felt a little bit too unwell. I did go down to the sea on New Year's Day and it was just too bloody rough. Um, big waves, very churned up, chopped up sea. Um, I just thought, nah, do you know what? <laughs> no, thanks. It's not worth it. So I haven't, I haven't been in, I haven't been back in the water now. So it's getting on for two and a half weeks. Um, which is a bloody long gap at this time of year. I know it's going to be a very challenging first swim back in the water. I'm expecting that to happen in the next day or two. Um, yeah, but you know, to get used to that, that's been, you know, that's been something I've become, um, you know, have have made habitual. The getting into cold water and getting into rough water. Um, and to get used to that discomfort and the difficulty of that and the psychological challenge of that and sometimes the emotional challenge of that um, to get a kind of to, to kind of conquer the temporary fear and anxiety that can sometimes come with that territory. Uh, but then to be on the other side of it and go, cool, I feel brilliant now. And and again, the the sense of a, a small invisible victory. Um so I don't know. I, I don't know if that resonates or if it's applicable in any other areas. Um, but I'll certainly be be mindful of that. Um, yeah, in the in the in the in, in the coming time. Okay. So look, I don't know if that's a, a bright note or a positive note to finish on, but it is the note I'm finishing on. Um, thank you very much for listening. If you've if you've stayed with this, and and once again, a very very happy new year to you. I hope you I hope you can find the space to uh, acknowledge your own little victories, the invisible overcomings. I think that's uh, a worthy a worthy aspiration. Uh, I think that's a worthy exercise that can just give you a, a sense of quiet accomplishment. Um, and it's all yours doesn't have to be anybody else's because only you know what you're dealing with only you know what you're overcoming and only you know what you've got to face into what's coming next so here's to all of us here's to a a great year ahead a year of fulfillment a year of challenges overcome a year of greater levels of acceptance maybe Uh, that's something i'm hoping for for myself and yeah here's to another year of this blooming podcast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as i said last week the the arrival uh, and revealing of the new website is imminent a few more tweaks to be had but that'll be coming over the next couple of weeks and thanks again to to my friend daniel um for doing all the hard work in that department so um what's uh i was looking it up online is it feliz año feliz año nuevo is that happy new year in spanish Feliz año, año, <laughs> nuevo, Daniel. Okay, okay, that's it. Um, you can throw me some love on social media. Look at the links wherever you're listening to this podcast. 
Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. I'm there. Although I haven't been on Instagram over Christmas. I've been too wiped out and that's about to change. I'll put some more stuff up now shortly. Um, yeah. And if you want to support the show, there is a supporter link where you can throw in a one-off contribution to the clear out, um, the tell that this is, this attempt to advocate wellness and coping and realistic resilience and positivity um and you can use the patreon link also that's patreon.com forward slash the clear out welcome anything anything at all nice comments a share subscribe a like a thumbs up um a load of money whatever any of those any of the above okay thank you so much for listening happy new year and i will talk to you again next week all the best see you take care Bye.